Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. On today's show, we'll be talking about England's touring party for their trip to Sri Lanka, New Zealand's dalliance with the world number one ranking, the start of the Border Gavaskar Trophy and much more. I'm Yazron and with me today is the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner, the editor-in-chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker, and the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon. First up, England's squad for the tour of Sri Lanka. Joffre Archer and Ben Stokes have both been rested for the tour. Jack Leach, Johnny Besto, Ben Folks, Ollie Stone and Moeen Ali have all won recalls. And there's also a space for pod favourite Dan Lawrence. Roy Burns will miss the tour to attend the birth of his child, while Ollie Pope is left out as he continues to recover from his shoulder injury. England are taking seven reserves. James Bracey, Mason Crane, Sakeem Mahmood, Craig Overton, Matt Parkinson, Sussex's Ollie Robinson and Amar Verdi. Joe, what are your thoughts about the squad? My impressions were that's a lot of quicks for a two-test tour to Sri Lanka. A lot of quicks. Yeah, I was surprised. It certainly doesn't really back up what we were musing about in the, in the lead-up to it being announced last week. We've not had a good record. I was just about to say, we've had, we've had a bad few weeks. We haven't. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd be impressed if anyone predicted this squad to the man. Um, it's one of those ones you look at it and you could pick any number of variations of the first 11 for that first test. Um, apart from the fact they haven't picked many batsmen, so I think we can be pretty sure of the batsman he'll play, perhaps not the order. Um, but it is interesting the fact that they had they picked three spinners. That was the kind of key to their success last time. There are three sp- spinners in that squad, Best, Leach, Moen, but it seems unlikely they'll play all of them. Otherwise, they'd have probably taken a fourth one in the in the main touring party. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an exciting squad in some ways because we'll get to see a few new players. Dan Lawrence looks like he'll, he'll play. There'll be the return of Johnny Bairstow, which whichever way it goes will, will not be dull. Um, and it's quite exciting to see. I think looking at the makeup of that squad, they'll be keen that Moen plays because because of the lack of batting. It looks like they're going to need proper rounders at, at seven or eight, um, or seven and eight. Um, so I think Moen's got a decent chance to to get back in there. It's it's a huge tour for him, as we've discussed before. If it doesn't work out for him, then we might not see too much of him in an England shirt again. Mm. It's a big tour for England overall, having four of their starting eleven not going. And also, I, I think that the 3-0 win in 2018 is one of England's best test results in recent years. Schranker have only lost one other home series in the last five years. And that series win in 2018 was based around those three spinners. 
And England um, have won two series out there in the last 20 years. And it's easy because of the challenge of India to come. It's easy to think of this as almost kind of like a warm up. And to be honest, even in my own head, I'd slipped into thinking that, well, we can get through Sri Lanka, maybe a 2-0 win, then you're into India. But actually, this is a really tough series in its own right and will be tougher because of the absentees, most notably Stokes. Mm. Phil, do you think it'll be a harder ask this time around than, than 2018 when England had Rashid, Moeen, Bang and Form and Jack Leach? Everything went their way last time out as well. Um, they won the the clinch moments. Root made a brilliant hundred. Uh, Burns played okay. Butler kind of nailed down that middle order slot. Played two very important innings in the second Test match. Um, and and the spinners dovetailed beautifully. I don't think it will be quite quite as smooth this time round. Uh, but I think England will probably shade it. Um, I like the look of the squad. I can understand the thinking with the the seamers overall. I think the 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 murmurs seem to be that they that they might play one batch in one game and another batch in another, almost not as a warm up because that would be denigrating the games themselves, but to get overs in the legs of of half a dozen seamers who are going to be involved over the next few months in India after that as well. Um, it, the thing is, they have to back their, their seamers. They ha- they don't have any choice. Root doesn't have any choice. He's got to throw his hat in for the seamers because that's where their strengths lie on wh- whichever tracks you're going to be playing on. Um, he's gone in there with two very workmanlike finger spinners and Moeen, who might be a busted flush. But as I said last week, I still think there's a there's a story there to play out with him as a test cricketer. Uh, so I'm pl- I was really pleased to see Moeen in the side. As we knew, Adil Rashid was was going to demure on Test cricket, um, despite England's efforts to try and persuade him to get involved. Uh, they have two wrist spinners on the bench in Crane and Parkinson. I guess the romantic in us would have maybe wanted to see one of those in the squad, but I think they have indicated that they'll go in there probably with two spinners, one of whom may well be Moeen and... And just try try and bomb them as well, pace through the air. You know, you can take the pitch out of the equation up to a point and there'll be a little bit of up and down bounce on those tracks, which are always a bit volatile uh, as the game progresses. So, you know, the seamers, while they didn't do the, they were ne- needed to do the job last time out, I think they will be required to do a little bit more this time. And still, if you're coming in and bowling from a height and, and, and hitting your lengths, then that's still going to be a handful, even on tracks which are not necessarily conducive um, so I, th- I think it's interesting and, and I've got through a good couple of minutes without even mentioning the boy who will be coming in and batting five I, I would imagine it's probably I think he's going to play I, I don't think he'll, he'll be sitting on the on the Judy I think he's going to play and five would be my guess Bearstow probably in at three horses for courses obviously got runs there last time out um, and obviously without Burns there Crawley I would imagine may just move up to open and as we've said for a number of months now, I think we're kind of, there's a consensus around the room that he is an opening batsman in the in the making at Test match level. Well, they've got very little flexibility, haven't they? With with the squad they picked, it looks like, presuming folks doesn't play, and Ed Smith has said that that Butler will have this series, I, I believe. Uh, that means that Wokes, Sam Curran, or Moen will have to bat seven. Looking at this squad, um, which is probably a position higher than I'd have had any of those in in my eleven for this series. Yeah, I think that. That for me is my biggest issue with the squad. And I've had this issue with a few Ed Smith squads in the past. I think I, I'm quite a lot of people are quite critical of him as a selector, which the England's record while he's been selected doesn't really bear out. And I think it's a very good identifier of talent. But I think that 
he sometimes falls down in terms of the makeup of squads and having enough batting cover in particular. I think it's the kind of the unsexy picks is these backup batsmen who probably aren't going to play, but will do you a job if there's a cracked finger or someone loses form. We, we saw it in actually in West Indies at the start of start of last year, was it? 2019. Yeah, start of 2019, when England sort of stuck with Keaton Jennings because he'd done well in Sri Lanka, despite knowing about the struggles against pace, didn't pick enough proper pace specialist top order batsmen, ended up dropping him for the second test because he struggled so much in the first test and then kind of were forced to re-pick him for the third because they just didn't have the backups in their squad. And, and I fear you could get a similar sort of thing happening this year if, if, if there's, you think there are batsmen light then I think I think what one or two even yeah um just just in terms of like just just a backup like say say Johnny Bairstow comes back in and actually they realize that those technical issues are still there that there's a bit more seam dominance he's coming at number three and he gets cleaned up early on but I think it's not not that I want that to happen but that's a conceivable thing and England will be kind of forced to pick him at number three in the second test as well just because they haven't got those backups out there I I agree I agree with you but um in Ed Smith's partial defence, perhaps he thinks Ben Soakes, Ben Folks, sorry, who is there as a reserve keeper, actually, if he was just picking the best batsman most likely to score runs in Sri Lanka, perhaps Ben Folks is among those. So he's comfortable, even if Folks ends up playing, well, I suppose Butler would probably relinquish the gloves to Folks, but he sees him as a genuinely good batting option in Sri Lanka, which given he got 100 out there is kind of perhaps reasonable. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess, I guess I'd, I still think that just even, so they've got what? eight batting options on the whole for the top seven basically or top 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 six slash seven which that includes James Brayson reserves which just feels risky to me especially with the fact that they can't call someone up at short notice like you'd rather go I know so you'd rather go too few than uh, too many than too few at the moment I thought the other thing that was interesting from the announcement well two things really one was the clearly the forward planning that England do have which obviously is good to have that but also can make something sort of, sort of a, if one thing sort of falls down then a lot of things can go wrong but you've seen that with they basically said Ben Folks is going to play the last two tests in India which is an interesting approach takes not necessarily a bad one but it is interesting and novel and the other thing was that Ed Smith sort of said that that England want everyone they take on tour to either be very close to making the first 11 or to or for it to be sort of, sort of a development opportunity which I guess and and it would just be interesting to hear if you asked I guess two batsmen who might have been close to being sort of like a safe pair of hands back up at the top order might have been Joe Denley and David Milan who are both playing in the BBL and it'd be interesting to hear what they thought about sort of you're kind of not going to be considered because you've got these other opportunities going on and actually would they rather be playing in the BBL or would they rather be like have an outside shot of a uh, adding another test cap to to their their cupboard I guess it's just a uh, but yeah so that, 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 that did, that's did I hear issues. as well that Butler won't be playing in the final two test matches of of the India tour? It's been heavily, heavily intimated. Yeah, they, they, so they've said they're going to rest every multi-format player at some point this winter. And they've also, Ed Smith basically how can, said How that, can you pull a top six batsman out of a marquee tour like India? How can, it, how what, can, what if he's got a couple of hundreds in the first three? <laughs> exactly. Well, first, firstly, well, it just won't surely happen, it, it has to be up to the man himself in the end. It has to be up to the individual. You can't, I don't think you can't just prescribe three two or three months out protections around an individual's mental health issues and so on when you have no idea where they're going to be mentally psychologically and physically in two months time and as you say if he's if he's strummed a couple of hundreds in the first two test matches it's i don't know one one with two to play in a marquee series that comes around once every few years and then they're going to say sorry you got to go home now rest up for a couple of weeks before going and playing seven weeks with the ipl 
that that doesn't sit particularly comfortably with me. I, I can just wouldn't happen though, right? Unofficially, maybe happen. sort of planning it, and and I, I get extraordinary times. You need to be flexible more so than ever before. I absolutely recognise that, but I don't think you can be as prescriptive as that. So so far out. But, but if he does, if he, Joe's right, if he does score two hundred in the first two games, he surely plays the rest of that test series and misses some white ball stuff. Surely. Well, you'd hope so. <laughs> you'd hope so. But but it's then been why quite say a strong, it? Yeah. Strong why why say it yeah. I think that's. I think there's. Perhaps, and from a good place, they want to show that they're thinking about player welfare and it's right at the forefront of their minds. But they're probably revealing more of their hand than they need to here. There's no need for there's no need for us to know that that's the plan, I don't think. Also, flip side, sorry, Josh Butler, if he gets 200s in the first two test matches, he's definitely going to want to play. If he gets four noughts, he's definitely going to want to play that third test match as well. I mean, his test career will be on the line. He's never quite nailed it, in inverted commas. He's never quite convinced the public that this is the right option for England at number six or seven, he's going to be hanging on there if he had two bad test matches. So, I, I, very, I, as you say, it comes from a good place, but I don't know. It has it has question marks around it. For but this me. whole this whole conversation we're having is symptomatic of of the wider issue that players need to be rested, but it's very very difficult to identify when they should be. In theory, if you're going to play folks at some point, this Sri Lanka series would have been the time to do it against weaker opposition than India, a place where he scored runs. But Butler obviously needs to score some runs before he goes to India and also needs to get his iron in terms of the keeping. So it's just very, very difficult to identify these, these it's, opportunities. It's also, it's also interesting. You know full well that if this was an Ashes tour, there would be no question of people going home halfway through or being managed or Stokes coming out after two test matches or anything like that. Maybe this is, this is the, the end game that they are ensuring that everybody is fully committed psychologically, mentally, physically, the lot from the start of, from middle of November all the way through to, to the second week of January. And that, that and that everything in, in a way is kind of being funneled towards that, that, we've, that final we've had, tour. We've had a few comments uh, on, on Twitter in the past from listeners who say we obsess too much about the Ashes tour. But I think we do that because we think that England do. I think it's so dangerous if England go into the India tour with not that being their sole focus because India have an unbelievable record at home and England are going to really struggle. England are arguably uh, not as well equipped for that tour than they were four years ago and they lost that 4-0. So I think it's very dangerous if England are thinking about a different series 10 months Absolutely. down the line. I, I mean, I've, I've probably said it several times, but the best preparation England can possibly have for the Ashes tour is to go in having won lots of test series. And that means focusing on each t- test series individually before you get to the challenge of the Ashes rather than looking two series ahead or even three series ahead. Um, And I wonder, I mean, I hope there's not some sort of admission that beating India in India is not really achievable, so you just do what you can out there. I mean, it sounds a little bit like, if they're talking about resting Joss Butler from Test Cricket, their keeper who's just had a brilliant summer with the bat, for two tests in India, which should be a marquee series. It's an odd thing to admit if you think that's a series that you can actually win. Privately, though... Those conversations are had and, and those those equations are faced down. And they know that a serious defeat in India, the world keeps turning, careers are not on the line, people are not going to be tearing up their you know, their membership cards and their, their love of English cricket's not going to be finishing that that morning of that final defeat of, of a test series in out out in India. In Australia, it is a different story. It just is. It just matters more. It matters more to individuals. It matters more to the punters. It matters more to the players. It matters more to the whole system, the whole setup, whether we like it or not, whether it's disproportionate and skewed. I absolutely see that argument, but that is the reality of it. If you lose 
uh, an Ashes series, there are reports, there are heads on platters, there are resignations, Schofield reports follow, all kinds of things. If you lose in India, then you just lose in India because you always lose in India, apart from that famous freak 2012 series. So th- that is the reality. That is that is how it goes. They they judge it as cycles, like Euro Championships and World Cups. They judge it in two-year cycles. Root said to me two weeks ago, just as he said to the, in the press conference when he got the job, we are building, building, building towards that towards that series, that series down under, that crucial jeopardy defining series down under. Look, it sticks in the craw for a lot of us because the, you know they're playing very important test matches in a few weeks' time. But that is the reality. I wonder as well if uh, I mean, and you know, England have just kind of come out and said it that they're resting Butler, but actually that we might be at the end of sort of if, if it ever properly existed, the era of like the the superpower heavyweight test series clash where you have two properly gun teams come up against each other with everyone available for four or five matches because I mean I know that it's been sort of enforced in the Australia India series but you do see the same things with players rightly prioritizing mental health their family lives sort of one-off life events that'll never get a chance to to repeat that means that you know that's Cody's going to miss the the last three tests Rohit Sharma is kind of he got injured during the IPL then sort of played through injury I guess in the last few games is now missing the first two games of that series just with all the cricket teams are playing as well it's just so much harder and that like I know that it's it, it, England are sort of perhaps jump the gun with the Butler thing but it's also I think maybe we just have to come to expect that actually those test matches and especially test series where you do have two great or very good teams line up with their first choice 11s for like more than half the series is just probably like a thing of the past I guess with the demands asked of of modern cricketers the other thing I would say personally like I know Phil you said you think England will shade it in Sri Lanka I would personally make Sri Lanka slight favourites for that series just looking back to the start of the first series of the World Test Championship when they drew 1-1 with New Zealand who are sort of undoubtedly a better team in England and a, a team who you'd sort of would, would give more of a chance out there and I think that looking at England's form in Asia just over the last decade or I guess since that India series that Sri Lanka 3-0 win stands out as as an aberration and especially with those three spinners just sort of dovetailing and sort of uh, all peaking almost at the same exact time and England's spin attack is nowhere no, we're close this time, I think. And, and considering when they've got the players who are resting, that, yeah, I think they're going to have a really, really tough ask to, to come away with a, a draw even personally. Yeah, I mean, I'd, so I'd go one all for what yeah. it's worth. Yeah. Yeah, England to lose the first and win the second. Obviously, I mean, they're not very good at winning the first test of an overseas <laughs> tour or actually any series, <laughs> yeah. are they? <laughs> well, link, link to that, link to the decision to rest uh, Butler at some point during the winter, link to uh, resting Archer and Stokes. Test cricket in Sri Lanka recently has been a little bit more seam friendly than it was when he, when he yeah. went last time. So to me, even the idea of changing your seam, potentially changing your seam attack from one test to the other when your seam bowl might be quite important for a really closely fought series, to me, seems a bit odd. Um, it, it's a bit Sven Uren Eriksson England in the 2000s. Yeah, like yeah, half time, everyone come just, off. It's just something that I've read in a couple of places and I heard Steve Harmison saying it on the Talk Sport podcast the other day. And, and it, it might be nonsense but there is kind of a degree of logic I suppose that in such a condensed quick turnaround you'll be playing probably one four-day game or three-day game against some kids in India before you're back into that first test match and it's going to be a whistle-stop tour obviously of Sri Lanka as well so I guess there is some logic to thinking it's hard to differentiate across this you know cohort of of quicks anyway and there is a degree of logic if you're playing back-to-back test matches in 35, 40 degree heat to play, you know, 
Broad plus plus in test one and Anderson plus plus in test two. I can see there's a degree of logic to it. Yeah, I, I guess it, it, is, it is just odd that uh, Anderson said he felt like a spare part last time, bowled very few overs in the two games he played, didn't take a wicket. Uh, England's seam depth is now greater than it was then. And yet they've brought still both him and Broad for a, a shorter series. It is it is odd. And, and, and as much as conditions might be more seam friendly now, the seamers aren't still going to have to do a huge amount of work considering they're never like these days aren't hugely high scoring games thing you'd think would still be picking two spinners so there'd be quite a lot of like they'd get through a lot of the, the work as well so but but you know I mean, but, it, is, it is needs must though isn't it as I said when you when you go to India in particular um, with the best will in the world you know Leach, Bess and Moeen are not going to bowl not going get, to get you 20 wickets four times or even three, or even two. I wonder as well how so much the, of this... the only way to do it is, is through through the, the guns, through the seamers. And I wonder how much of this is, yeah, the kind of attritional cricket that you, that Chris Silverwood's talked about, that if you don't bat the spinners to do that job, Anderson and Broad can al- exactly. almost almost do that because you don't really want Stone coming in or Wood coming in and saying, well, you have, to go, un- <laughs> you have to go under three and over. That's obviously not what they're there for. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's a bit... I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a really good point. Dhoni used to do that with his, with his seamers in India. He used to... 7-2 offside fields, bowl dry, bowl dry. It's dull to watch. It's, it's soul-sapping stuff, but it's, it's effective in those kinds of conditions. And as we know, pitches crumble after 12 sessions of, 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 a, of a game of cricket out there. Uh, so yeah, it, in a way, it's, it'll be a dry run. It'll be a trial run for, for England's so-called new way of playing, which they are going to be rolling out come Australia. One more question on the squad. So you talked a little bit about Dan Lawrence. It is reasonably rare that somebody who's uncapped is uh, this likely to play. I think when when a, when a, when a squad is announced, batsman Gardner's still spitting about it. No, it is true, but uh, Sri Lanka's not the easiest place in the world to make your test debut. How how equipped do you think he will be for not only test cricket but also? specifically playing in Sri Lanka against in very spin-friendly conditions? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. Ideally, he'd be making his debut at six at Lords or somewhere where he's comfortable and where he's played before. Uh, it, it'll, be, it'll be a tough, tough gig and it'll be a very tough gig. I'm, it's hard to say if he will play in India because obviously Stokes comes back and Burns will come back into the reckoning as well. Pope comes back, hopefully. Pope, of course. Pope will come back as well. So it's possible that he will have four knocks just to just to get a sense of the, the whole the whole show, the scrutiny that follows him. My concern will be uh I was speaking to Vish about this, the the independent writer, um, on Friday night, and we were saying we just want to jump past all the questions about his technique to the point where he starts scoring test match runs quite regularly and he can just be left to get on with it because what will what will happen initially is people will look at him who maybe haven't seen too much of him and think, What's going on here? You can't hold it like that. You can't flick it through there. Why don't you play through? Why don't you? Why don't you play through the V? The reality is, is that technically he's actually pretty sound, and he's made good runs in four-day cricket against good attacks on tough pitches, and he's batted long. I don't think there are too many problems technically, but just like with Sibley, he looks a bit odd. It's a it's a homespun technique, um, and me and Vish were talking about this on Friday. But I I read yesterday, maybe two days ago, Alistair Cook was interviewed about Lawrence. And he said, no doubt in his mind that he'll be successful, but he will have to learn how to cope with the scrutiny that will be attached to his technique. And we will get that. Hopefully, he, you know, he stays off social media when he, when he, when he, doesn't, when he fails. Uh, 
and and trusts trusts in his style. The one thing I would add on that is he's famous for never deviating, never doubting himself. His self belief is is well established and was established from quite an early age. And everyone I've ever spoken to about him at Essex, they say he doesn't always do it the conventional way, but he never ever doubts himself. And that is part of the battle, without a doubt. Do you think, though, because of the way he bats and it being unusual, it's more important that he gets off to a good start than other batsmen because there'll be so much focus on the oddness of his technique. I think of like Tom Wesley, massively, for instance, massively. who what's got, got 50 on his debut against South Africa. I was like, oh, what lovely shots through the leg side. Immediately when it becomes a problem, well, Wesley can't play test cricket because he's too leg side dominant and he's gone four tests later. Now, Lawrence is obviously, a, he's a bigger talent than Wesley. He's a few years younger than Wesley was. And Wesley acknowledges that as well. He says he's on a different stratosphere. Yeah. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. And someone like Pope, who's a classicist, comes in and he makes 20-odd in Lords, I think it was, in his second test match. And everyone's purring, oh, he's a player. Oh, he's a player. And that, in a way, and then you're just allowed to develop, allowed to learn. Lawrence is 23. He's a kid. He's been around for six years, sure, because he was a sort of child prodigy. But he's 23 years old. But you're absolutely bang on. The the brick bats will be swirling uh, because he has his own way of doing things. I, I think as well that actually with players with weird techniques, it tends to bring with it quite a lot of qualities that I don't think are talked about enough. So Phil, you talked about that sort of the, the mental toughness and that he doesn't sway from his game. I think that's 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 related rather than being sort of like uh, sort of different thing. Like I think I think if you if you bat weirdly, then you're going to get a lot of comments as you're coming up through the age groups from from everyone. Even if you have a good coach, people are still going to be saying like, "Oh, that's a bit weird. You should try this thing." So you've got to be strong-willed to stick with that. I think also it means that these players tend to think quite a lot about their games, about how their techniques work because they'll recognize that it's different and sort of think like, why is this working? Why is it not working? And then when it comes to sort of a period of low form, they'll sort of be able to identify that more quickly as, we, as we've already seen with Lawrence, as he kind of explained to you, yeah, it's about like how his trigger he realized wasn't working for him. So he sort of was like, okay, I'm just going to stand just stop completely still. Yeah, and, 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 see, and see if that works. And and, and I think that's... that's oh, it's a really good point. Really, really good point. Um, and because of the way that he sets up against the turning ball as well, I think he will he will stand a chance. I mean, if he misses a straight one, fine. But with those wrists, he's able to manipulate deliveries against conventional off breaks and so on into the leg side, which is how the really good players play spin. You see it, they play with the spin, with the turn, and they drop singles here and there and they, they pick up the ones and the twos. You see it with Amlu, who's a master at that. You see it with Smith, obviously, who does it all the time. Uh, and and he, has, he has the setup for that. Uh, so I think he's been picked partly because he made a lot of runs in Australia. And again, again, sorry, they are looking towards that. Partly because it's right that he is the next next one in. And partly because I think his game will be set up to play the turning ball. So I, th- I think it's an interesting and, and heartening selection. Delighted, frankly. Clearly. And for, the sec- <laughs> and, for the sec- yeah. and for the second week in a row, despite England not actually playing a game, we've done 25 minutes, half an hour on England, which is excellent. No one ever said um, we were parochial. <laughs> the Australia India series got underway at 4am this morning. Um, it was a gripping first day and it's just so good to have high quality test cricket back. Um, my hot take after watching a bit of one day is that England um, are, are going to be in for some really tough tours in both India and Australia. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Real insight. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some good moments on, on day one. India are 233 for six at Stumps. Uh, Ricky Ponting, Prithvi Shaw's coach at the Delhi Capitals, 
perfectly predicted his dismissal off the second ball of the game, saying he had a weakness against balls coming into him um, and that Stark will be targeting that area. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. I yeah, could, I, I mean, could have told him that. Everyone knows that. But that, um, Archer cleaned him up exactly the same way. It's good commentary, but also makes you wonder what he was doing as a coach for eight weeks in the IPL. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, then, and also there was the uh, Coley got run out uh, by by his vice captain, Rahane, when he was well set on 74. Um, serious James Vince vibes, wasn't it? It was, and Rahani is obviously going to take over the captaincy uh, from Cody when he goes home after this test. If, when Rahani woke up this morning, if there's one thing he didn't want to do, it'd be to run out Coley, who was looking so well set. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, in terms of the scorecard, in terms of the score, India are right in this game after day one, but it's a bit worrying already for India that Coley is, is scoring the vast majority of their runs when he's the one to go home and, and there are question marks around that that top order in, in Australia. That that Australia attack is is just so good. All all three pace bowls were, were brilliant, so accurate. Um, Cameron Green got his first bowl in Test cricket, and he looks very good as well. Like he's casually bowling ninety mile per hour bumpers. He looks he looks very good. And Nathan Lyon bowled brilliantly today as well, um, getting a lot of turn and bounce on day one. Um, so that that should be very good to watch. Some interesting calls from both sides going into Test. India opted to pick Wijman Saha over Rishabh Pant. And Prithvi Shaw over Shuman Gill, who averages 68 in first-class cricket. And Australia picked uh, Joe Burns and Matthew Wade as their openers. Any thoughts on those picks, Ben? Uh, well, can I just say, on, on the Australia attack, if you evaluate yeah. the strength of an attack by the weakest bowler in it, it's one of the strongest that there's kind of ever been, right? I mean, in terms of having no... Look, even, even that great Australia side, you'd probably pick Stark over Gillespie, would you? Be, be close, but like... Uh, don't it's know about a, that. It's a, but but I mean, I mean, you're thinking Gillespie 05, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I it's mean, when cricket started. Uh, I, I might I might leave you to tear into the Saha pant debate, Yaz. But I'm, I'm glad they went with Shaw. I think that he's been uh, received a lot of criticism for a, a 21 year old who averages 55 after four tests and mm. was the like three or four runs off being leading run scorer in their last test series. Uh, I think he had a a tricky IPL, but he sort of like I think. Even him just looking in some form in the warm-up game should have been enough to be like, yeah, he's our, he's our guy for a while. I know Shaw is also very talented and there is definitely just the temptation to sort Me of... Gil, sorry. Sorry, I know Gil yeah, is yeah. very talented and there is the temptation to sort of be like, well, now we want to see what this kid can do as well. It's like, you've you know, you've know, opened all your toys in Christmas, you want to play with each one for a little bit and then move on to the next one. But uh, I think that, yeah, it's, it's definitely right to stick with Shaw and I think that like I've very little doubt that he will score lots of test runs and mo- hopefully a lot of them in this series. Mm. Yeah, I, I I think I might have tried to get both of them in. Uh, maybe maybe Gil over Vahari. Um Vahari's done all right at the start of his test career, not brilliantly. Yeah, it's, it's easy to think of him as well as like the sort of the wizard pro when he's sort of, what, 20, 26, 27? He's just turned 27. This yeah. is like ninth test match. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's, yeah, apart from the Saha Pant thing, which, as I say, Yaz will. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, did, I, it, it, I just find it uh, almost dispiriting that you've got a 23-year-old who's got test 100 in Australia and England, uh, who is actually in good form. He blasted a 80 ball or 70 ball 100 in the most recent warm-up game, scoring 22 off the last over of the day to get himself over the line, get that century. Uh, uh, he he had, he had a really difficult IPL, but then almost single-handedly kept his side in the final. Um, he's, an, he's, he's an absolute freak. And, I, and also, like, I, I get that some people, a lot of people have been saying that Saha is a better keeper and he is a better keeper, but I don't think you need a better keeper in Australia. Um, Certainly not as much an issue. I was thinking today, though, as Saha came out to bat for a very tricky period, I'd, if I was India, I'd prefer Saha at that point, but I'd quite like Pants to be walking out tomorrow morning. Yes, that's definitely true. But I, I, I also thought with the ball hard, like 
and Australia will still have the new ball tomorrow morning. It's going to be difficult to score runs. I think like a counter-attacker like Pan at seven when the scoring rate's been really slow all day uh, would have been preferable to having Siren. I just can't... I, yeah, I, Pan is just so much more likely to score a match-winning score uh, and it's going to be a very difficult series for India. So for me... I, thought it, it wasn't even close but. yeah and and he's he's like i mean i know he's like a, a bit of a dasher but he's not sort of a total close-eyed cl- he closes his eyes and, and swings you know he's like he does have a you know those those two test hundreds were like uh long innings as well as like big ones and quick ones and, and i think we've seen even in like pressure situations i can remember just the cricket world cup semi-final when india were i think two for three maybe when he walked in at number number four or, or they were that when he walked at number five uh and then he made like a like a, a, a slow thirty to sort of rebuild. Like he he does he, he can play situations. Well, I think it's a he is obviously a very very talented ball striker. But I think the, the exciting about Pan is that he's also a lot more than that, in my opinion. I mean, and and yeah, just I think he's just he, he's just a better batsman than Sahar. I mean, I would I would have definitely picked him. It's a quite it's a slightly surprising pick from Kohli. It's the sort of pick you might have expected from Dhoni, but although Dhoni wouldn't necessarily have wanted another keeper in the side. <laughs> <laughs> but um, usually Kohli backs youth i remember him saying that he'd much rather put people in too early and then struggle a bit than people just kind of wait on the sidelines for years and lose that kind of determination and and real drive to get into that side um so it, that lacks a bit of pizzazz it does, across the board yeah. that whole side really you know no no role in there either obviously sharma is is ongoing issues but he'll join up later on in the series but yeah, no pant, no no Raul, and no no Gill, lacking a little bit of little bit of magic in there. Really, it's a very uh, kind of conventional, pragmatic selection, really. And and look, obviously by this time tomorrow, Australia would be bowled out of 150. But at the minute, I think Australia so are massive, beaten 100. Yeah, massive, massively <laughs> Australia. We've got to be a bit careful here. I think, I think India India have kind of blown it, really. Yeah, be. just just on Sar, his his overall Test record looks worse than it really is. So he. Uh, for a few years when Dhoni was still around, he kind of played sporadically whenever Dhoni was injured or whatever, whereas actually he had a two-year run in the side after Dhoni retired where he was quite good and averaged around 40. So it's not that Saha can't bat and Pant can't keep and the other one's the opposites. It's more that I think against this high-quality attack like Australia, I would rather go into a series with Rishabh Pant playing than, than Saha. Yeah, in, in terms of the sort of uninspired, slightly uninspired in selection, I think Imesh Adav fits into that as well he's what this is this is third tour of australia fourth his, his fourth tour of australia and he's sort of just never set the world light i know he's sort of he has improved since their last one or well since the one two years ago uh two tours ago sorry and uh he's uh and he's yeah f- firmly they're kind of that he, he's the next in line given the seamers that are injured but i don't think that australia is a place to be bringing the players who've got the psychological bag- baggage of being smashed there before i think that it's it is actually Spoken like a true englishman there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but i think i think i think there is there is a lot of value in in sort of youth and inexperience and you know not being scarred i think and especially when you because you've got somebody's kind of a bit of a known entity there and is you think unlike again he'll take a five for tomorrow and uh <laughs> make me seem very silly but i think that that's also uh they could have could have gone for possibly a bit more excitement there joe what's your moment of the week my moment was a historical moment where New Zealand went top of the test rankings. Uh, only they actually... All moments are historical. Only they actually hadn't. Um, so this was... It got quite a lot of coverage. So ESPN Quick Info reported that New Zealand had gone top of the rankings due to an error with the predictor tool on the ICC's, web- ICC's website. 
And then Sky, who are a bit late to the party, then obviously picked up on Quick Info's story and then ran the story when everyone else knew that New Zealand definitely weren't number one. So it's it's, it's close. 0.086 points behind Australia at the top of the test rankings. How would you describe the size of that margin, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> Barest of. Uh, but I think, I mean, they're, they're certainly in good shape to get there at some point soon. Uh, they've got Pakistan at home next You'd expect them on their home form to win that series as well. And they're, as we've discussed before, right in the mix for that World Test Championship. I'm not going to get into the permutations. That's definitely for you and for you two to, to look at that one. Um, but they're, they're, they're looking like such a good side. I mean, they're, they're Daniel Vittori short of a, of a really kind of world-class side in some ways that, in terms of that bowling attack. But in home conditions, they just don't need it. They didn't bowl a single delivery of spin against West Indies. Uh, not that they bowled that many overs against West Indies, but... They're getting through with just seamers and, and they've got so many. And you've got Lockie Ferguson, who I think has just got injured, but he's another great option to bring in if, if they need it. And he's played like one or two tests. I think he's played one, yeah. yeah. And Cole Jameson looks a great find and scoring runs as well. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, the, the big three have been doing it for, for a long time now. And there's this muted test series, potentially New Zealand coming over to England if neither England nor New Zealand are in the World Test Championship final. That would be a kind of two test series sandwiched in the middle of everything else, uh, potentially. And I mean, I I really want New Zealand to get to the Test Championship final. I'd love England to get there as well, but that seems like a stretch. Mm. But if they're not, then I think England New Zealand's next summer could be a really really good Test series in English conditions. I think New Zealand's attack is really well set up for that. Williamson uh, is obviously looking fantastic. Uh, I think it'd be a really really good contest. Uh, I'm not sure who I'd pick as favourites. Obviously England are formidable at home, but mm. these are not. Uh, unfamiliar conditions to New Zealand so that would be a cracker if it, if it can come off yeah I mean so just on on that second test New Zealand won that by an innings again this time without Kane Williamson who's with his wife ahead of the birth of their daughter um, Henry Nichols scored one of the strangest hundreds I've ever seen uh, he got 170 but by the time I went to bed uh, he was 55 not out and had been dropped four or five times and was looking horribly out of sorts so that was a nice surprise to wake up to um, just on uh, two things with New Zealand number one I don't think there's enough made. So when various outlets were reporting they went to number one in the world, a lot of people were like, oh, the rankings aren't great. And yeah, there are flaws in the rankings. But their home record is so good. Uh, and I don't think there's enough appreciation of how good it is. They've, they've only lost one test at home in the last four years. That's a, ni- that's a 19 test period. Um, they, they are so good at home. And also an underrated um, plus to their side and overall setup at the moment is that when a new guy comes in, they look good straight away. So Carl Jameson comes in and instantly adds to the side. They've had a few injuries. Um, Will Young looked quite good in his first test series. Um, Tom Blundell, who came in at the end of last year, looked pretty good at the top of top of the order. And then if you look at their A team as well, um, they they they're playing Pakistan at the moment. And the guy I've never heard of has taken five wickets against a very strong Pakistan side. It was also um, packed as well, wasn't it? Did you notice how many people were in as well? For the second yeah, test. Yeah, for the stretch. second test. Second test is really nice, isn't it? Yeah. So there's good good vibes around yeah. New Zealand cricket. Now. And even I talk about their, their lack of a world-class spinner, and obviously they don't have that. But they have, in this recent years, gone to Sri Lanka and drawn. They beat in Pakistan and UAE. So they, wherever they are, they make absolutely the most of their resources. Mm. Considering they've only got six first-class teams, they have got incredible depth mm. now. Uh, and when you think of Devin Conway, we've talked about before, who's... Now a prolific batsman on the sidelines. New Zealand haven't had that too often in the past. They've generally had good stock of seam bowlers, but a bit light on top order batsmen. 
so yeah, all all looking pretty good. Yeah, I think for me, the thing that's most sort of uh, uh, like immediately jarring about the fact that New Zealand might be the number one test team in the world is that it's just so hard to actually imagine them beating Australia, either home or away, just considering the results of the last three series between them. I mean, maybe they would turn them over at home, I'm, I'm not sure. But I think that's what makes the possible... I mean, maybe even it's a probability at this point, if I had to guess who was going to be World Test Championship finalists, it would be uh, Australia and New Zealand at this point. That's what makes that such an exciting prospect because I think away from the baggage of being either in New Zealand or Australia that could give them a real chance to sort of like like and in conditions that will be helpful but also fair I think that that would be a like a, a potentially like a real statement moment from them that actually yes we're one of the big boys and you could even make a claim I think at that point if they were to win the World Test Championship that they're the best all format side in the world over the last sort of five or six years or so considering you know two World Cup finals one decided by a technicality. And another player that's coming through for them Ben is Ratchin Ravindra, uh, who you saw at the other 19 World Cup a couple of years ago. He's interestingly named for a start. Yeah, well, well, Ratchin is a, a portmanteau of uh, Rahul and Sachin, as in Dravid and Tendulkar, which is uh, uh, quite a lofty expectation to place on a baby. Uh, but he's uh, he, it turns out he's actually uh, Sachin Tendulkar combined with uh, Ra- Ravi Jadeja. So that's uh, uh, even, even, even better, maybe, because uh, he bowls a bit of left arm spin, bats really well. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to work out quite how good his left arm spin is because his batting has been his sort of his main weapon. But if he is good enough to sort of bat in the top six, uh, as it seems like they hope he will be, and to be sort of a frontline spinner, at least as part of like a, an attack with lots of seamers. And that's just another sort of piece of the puzzle that fits in. And he's, yeah, he, he was, he was, yeah, he was sort of very technically sound in the 19 World Cup and, and like sort of raved about he's been. Yeah, they've been quite excited about him for a long time. It seems like he's about to to make that step, not step up to test cricket, but to be like a, you know, if it was a different New Zealand era, he probably would have played by now, you know? Yeah, I mean, in in their, in New Zealand A's recent game against West Indies A, Ravindra scored 144 not out and then took a six for. So that's that's pretty handy. And you think that if they've not got a, a, a spinner in their side at the moment, you could see him potentially slipping in for that Daryl Mitchell slot at the moment well, that, he's, that he's filling with Colin Grandom injured. Um, moving on to uh, an- another plug for Golden Summers um, that we've talked about in the last couple of shows. Golden Summers, if you haven't been paying attention, is a collection of 50 unique reflections on cricket's glorious past, featuring contributions from a diverse cast of cricketers and writers. Um, head to wizen.com forward slash shop to get your copy. If you use the offer code WCGOLD, so WC Gold. You get three pounds off. And if you order it by the end of today, that's Thursday. If you listen to this on the day this is coming out, you can get a guaranteed delivery by Christmas. But even still, if you're if you're listening later, you can still still order it because it's a very good book. Um, Joe, you are going to read out a passage from the book. <laughs> yeah. School assembly vibes, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, I was thinking kind of Jack and Ori, settling kids whilst uh, um if if I've read too much, you let me know, Yaz. Give me some sort of uh hand signal. But this is from Tanya Aldred's piece on the summer of 1984. Um, if you get the spin email from the Guardian, you'll know Tanya or read her piece on the Guardian or stuff she's written lots of Wisdom Cricket Monthly and the Night Watchman over the years. And this is one of my favourite pieces on, on the Blackwash summer of 1984. So I'm just going to read a little, little bit from this. From the first match against Worcestershire to the joyous celebration of Blackwash at the Oval, West Indies were a team first, just one bulging with individual talents. There was Viv, of course, and Gordon Greenwich, and Roger Harper with his origami arms and Velcro hands, and Michael Holding coming off his long run at the Oval, and, most memorably of all, Malcolm Marshall at Headingley, playing on with a double fracture of the left thumb. 
He batted to allow Larry Gomes to complete his century, thrashed a one-armed boundary, then hand in plaster, beguiled figures of 7 for 53, his compact little body so fast, so perfect. And in charge of all these blades, Clive Lloyd, a man who at times resembled a weary old dog shuffling off for one last walk, but who held it all together. Lovely. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I wish I had a cup of Horlicks and was uh, tucked into bed. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so just a reminder, if you want to get your copy of Golden Summer's Head to wizen.com forward slash shop. Phil, what's your moment of the week? Uh, well, I bought a house. That's my actual moment of the week. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, actually occurred this morning, walking in the news that Mohamed Amir's jacked it in. 28 years young. Just from international cricket. Just from international yep. cricket, sorry. Yeah. Uh, 28-year-old, he's had a unique and singular career as well. We know we don't need to to retread that um, hot coals path. Uh, he gave an interview to uh, an outlet last week where he said he was suffering unbearable torture um, uh, from the PCB. Uh, not entirely surprisingly, a few days later, his contract has been suspended and that's that. And the PCB released a very terse statement uh, this morning, uh, not wishing him well, not thanking him for his efforts, not not going through any of the kind of standard platitudes that you get with these kinds of things. And it was clear that what's been often quite a volatile relationship uh, has collapsed completely. And it's very, it's very regrettable because still with the white ball, he's one of the best white ball bowlers in the world. Uh, he, you know, he he was the key man when Pakistan won the Champions Trophy three years ago, and it's a very sad collapse really uh, from that moment when it looked like he was properly reintegrated back into the system that that famous upturn of of, of the form book really uh, in that champions trophy was under Mickey Stewart Mickey Stewart Mickey Arthur the Stewart stewardship of Mickey Arthur uh, who Amir loves and who Amir uh, recognized for the effect that he'd had on his career in this interview he gave a few days ago but that I think has been interpreted as quite pointed against the current coaching setup um he had warm words to say for Shahid Afridi but pointedly no warm words for you know Miss Barr and 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 the new breed uh, the new uh the new brass who are, who are controlling the, the game out there and and so and so the the relationship is done and dusted he will continue playing domestic cricket which is good news for Essex fans I suppose two overseas players from next year so you would imagine that he's a stick stick on for the white ball stuff and possibly even for the red ball stuff as well he's he has a house in the southeast of England he he married uh, a British girl who famously he met um, outside Southwark Crown Court um and I think he, he, well, he said, he actually said to me in an interview I did with him a couple of years ago that he's looking to settle in England long term. So um, I would imagine that we'll be seeing quite a lot more of him in English domestic cricket. But uh, county cricket's, um, you know, benefits is, is, is a loss for international cricket. And it's, it's a sad, sad state of affairs, really. 28 years is, years is, is no kind of age for a, for a seamer who's not actually played an enormous amount of cricket. Um, he's played 36 tests, 61 ODIs and 50 T20Is. Now, when you take that back to 2010, when he looked like the best teenage bowler I'd ever seen, that's a, that's a great shame that that, um, that that career never really got going. 28, though, also perhaps young enough for it not to be the end. I mean, I, We'll never say of, never but, with, with Pakistan cricket, obviously. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, Freedy obviously retired uh, more times than I can remember. <laughs> uh, 
I still, I feel a little. I think I'd be surprised if he doesn't ever play for Pakistan again. If he keeps kind of tearing up in T Twenty leagues round round the world, T Twenty World Cups come around quite quickly. A new coaching setup might fancy getting him back in. I don't know. Whichever way, whether it works out like that or not, it's it's sad that it's it's come to this. Especially with a T Twenty World Cup just a few months around the corner, you'd have thought between them they could have kind of patched things up just to get through this this phase. But it, it goes to show just how bad relations must be. Yeah, he, he criticised Wakar, uh, who's the bowling coach. Um, he suggested that Wakar was spreading scurrilous rumours about his his fitness commitment, etc. Picked out Misbah as well. Picked said out you have to ask well, him why I wasn't and, picked for New Zealand. Yeah, and pointedly praised the previous PCB chief, which wouldn't have gone down well with Essen Marnie, who's the new PCB chief. And obviously... Wazim Khan as well is the chief exec. I think that's a pretty strong cartel at the top of Pakistan cricket at the minute, and I can't. He's really name see checked it. pretty much everyone. <laughs> yeah, maybe it will be quite tricky for him to come back. Yeah, but you never certainly, know. Certainly, in the next few months. But yeah, obviously things change around quickly. But no, it's 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 a shame. It's a shame for the international game, and it's a shame for 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 what could have been one of the great careers. You know, and it hit the skids heartbreakingly and harrowingly and, and it never quite recovered. What was it is a shame and uh, there's a sense around Amir's career that it, it's one of unfulfillment. He still packed a lot in um, in his international career. He's a T20 World Cup winner at the age of what, 17, a Champions Trophy winner where he bowled the spell of the final, the spell that basically decided the game and is also part of the side that um, topped the test rankings as yeah. well under Misbah. So, yeah, yeah, well, he bowled here in 2016 without any luck at all. I think he had eight catches dropped off him in that series against England. Uh, but he, he took the final wicket at Lords um, to complete that win and bowled well at the Oval in, in what ended up as a 2-2 draw. And I think three or four weeks after that game at the Oval, they were number one. And, and it seemed, and then rolling into the Champs Trophy that followed the year after, it seemed like things were were looking pretty good for him. He was only in his mid-twenties. The the horrors of what happened before what seemed to be behind the setup and himself. He seemed like a mature man by this point, you know, recognising what had happened, having served his time and so on and so on. But yeah, it's 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 a shame that it's it's collapsed. It really is. It it really is one of the most extraordinary careers. I like to think of sort of budding cricket journalists in like, I don't know, 60, 70 years' time looking at his Crick Info profile, presuming Crick Info is still going. And and reading his profile and thinking, God, what what a career that was! And and numbers won't ever do it justice because obviously there is so much outside of cricket itself that has that has kind of marked it really. That spell at Lords, that now besmirched spell at Lords, first morning England were eighty eight for six, I think, before obviously Trot and Broad put that partnership together. But that first spell, I was there. It was one of the best spells of fast bowling I've ever seen. He was swinging it around corners. No one could do anything about it. And he was swinging it late and at pace. Um, Later put me in mind, James Foster kept to him and he said, he's the best bowler I've ever seen. And he said, the most skillful bowler I've ever seen, ever stood to and ever faced. Um, And now he's he's done at 28. The the BBL with all its new rules began this week. There was a remarkable performance from new Aussie seamer Daniel Sams, but with the bat. He blasted 65 not out off just 25 balls from number eight to help the Sydney Thunder chase down 180 using the power surge where you can use two overs of your traditional power play, I guess, uh, in the second half of the innings using that to, to good effect. Peter Siddle claimed uh, the first five for his T20 career for the Adelaide Strikers in their win over the Hurricanes. Um, more England news. 
Uh, Joe Denley will be joining up with the Brisbane, Brisbane Heat after he was overlooked from the England Test squad uh, for the strength. So we didn't we didn't talk about Joe Denley. He would have been your your pragmatic. I mentioned him. Did he? Yeah, because okay. I said that. Anyway. anyway, I think I edited that bit out. Anyway, Ben, what's your what's your moment of the week? So uh, my moment of the week is uh, a. a well a cricket competition that's going to put the 100 to shame make it look like sort of a like timeless test in terms of how state it is it's called a uh, uh, ultimate cricket challenge and if you're googling this remember that cricket is spelt with a k remember that cricket is spelt with a k <laughs> or so so cricket or you, you have to cricket spelled with a k but so the first c is a k uh it's kind of in a way it's sort of the most as traditional as cricket gets because the the single wicket cricket was sort of a very the very early days of sort of a uh sort of an off spit an offshoot that like a you'd get four runs scored in sort of a five hours play and that sort of thing. And it was apparently absolutely thrilling to watch. So this tournament is going to be, is going to start, get underway on December 24th and go over Christmas, I guess. Who's in it, Ben? Uh, so Yuvraj Singh is in it, Phil. Kevin Peterson is in it. No. Chris Cale is in it. Owen Morgan is in it. Rashid Khan is in it. So I'll read out some of the rules as far as we understand them. Uh, the game will be played across four innings, each lasting 15 balls, where two players will go head to head. There are six scoring zones. Uh, a to E, so that's because zone A and zone B you get one run, zone C two runs, zone D three runs, and then zone E is either four or six, depending if you get it there I with a bounce or direct. Out, I'm afraid. Yeah, uh, I was lost at the spelling. <laughs> but for, for, further, if a batsman hits it behind the bowler, that's called a bullseye, and you get and you get twelve runs and you get an extra ball. Uh, where is this being staged? Uh, looks like uh, Dubai. Yeah, of course yeah. it is. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the, uh, the the main players are called UKC contenders. Uh, I think it's absolutely absolutely amazing. Going to be up to these right watch. in your wheelhouse, isn't it? Yeah, you're so. going to be watching this instead of the Boxing Day Test, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> and yeah. intriguingly, obviously, because it's one on one, most of the names you mentioned there were all rounders of sorts. But we've got Owen Morgan in there, which mm. means we're going to get to see Owen Morgan bowling. At Chris Gale. Yeah, he, he has got Sam Patel out in his first class career. As, I as, told you that. You as, can't as, tell I, me I was, that when I, I was just about that. to say, as Joe discovered just before this podcast oh, was recorded. Yeah, so uh, the main players called UKC contenders have to bowl eight deliveries per innings, and then a sub player can bowl seven. Uh, and then you also get a wicketkeeper and a fielder in the arena. Uh, head to Disney Plus, I guess, to watch that. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, just, just, uh, amazing that the 100 is already going to be out of date by the time it gets underway sort of a year late so. excellent uh, and and to finish the show my moment of the week uh this is actually excellent uh and i, I really <laughs> really uh, if you've not seen this actively seek this out on the internet so in the uh banga bandu t20 cup uh the domestic oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. bangladesh uh t20 league uh, not the bangladesh premier league don't no, get no, those no. two confused yeah. um mushrika rahim wasn't in a great mood um, so he, uh, a, a ball is hit into the air, it's towards a, the, the backward point region, um, and Mushrika goes to, to catch the ball, um, and a fielder is running in, also looking to catch the ball. Mushrika ends up taking the catch, but after he takes the catch, uh, he's, he's obviously quite upset at his fielder for trying to take the catch for himself, um, but he um, basically, it looks like he's going to punch him. Uh, and you don't believe me? Go and look the vi- go and look up the video. And it was like last moment before he <laughs> he connects, he he stopped himself. But that was actually the second time he'd done that in the match. Um, what was the, what was the other one? It was like a, a missed run out opportunity, and he and he did exactly the same thing to another another fielder. So yeah, exactly. Um, and and then they, and they kept he kept being angry. This and, and they they end up winning the game like yeah. pretty pretty well. But and and in and the qualifying for the final, it was yeah. In the, in the penultimate over, uh, the uh, he got very very angry. So he got angry at a bowler first when he bowled not to the plan and got hit for four and then the next ball 
uh, the bowler sort of got the batsman to hole out, but because it wasn't to the plan that Mishfakur Rahim had set, <laughs> he was still absolutely fuming. And the huddlers, they'd just taken the wicket, which had basically sealed their place in the final. And the batsman so, was doing well as well. It was quite a big wicket. Yes. Yeah, well, this this was, yeah, that was the first one, was yeah. the, the, the half century and they got yeah. out, yeah. Have we ever had a more niche finale to the show? <laughs> possibly, possibly. Possibly, possibly we have. Um, yeah, anyway, this has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly <laughs> Yeah, podcast. we're really going out with a bang there, boys. <laughs> bang a bandy. Good. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends. And if you are feeling especially nice, you want to leave us a five-star review, podcast that. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.